So turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel and chapter 7. If you've got any, uh, if you've got any kids in the house, this, uh, this particular sermon has got loads of uh, Sunday school uh, lessons that are usually used in there. There's lots of visual things in there too. So there's going to be plenty to draw. So, uh, and, and I'm hoping that this is going to be simple enough for uh, everyone to understand, even people like me. So uh, tell me, Daniel chapter 7, and uh, together as families and as a church, we'll read the first 18 verses of Daniel chapter 7. And God willing, this will be our text now, uh, this morning. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs between, in its mouth between its teeth, and they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming out from among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was as white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, and its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given into the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. 
I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Amen. Now, God willing, we're going to look this morning at Daniel 7 in the context of the whole book especially in the chapters leading up to it, which means that we need to keep the main characters in mind. So who are the main characters that we have in Daniel? The first one is a man called King Jehoiakim. He was the king of Judah. Now, unfortunately, he only lasts two verses in Daniel before his kingdom is overthrown by the second character, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Now, as was usually the custom, what they usually did back then, King Nebuchadnezzar, he took the brightest and the best from Judah to benefit his own country and to work for him. Now, Daniel was one of these bright sparks. He was taken to Babylon to serve Babylon as a civil servant. He did quite well for himself and rose up the ranks at serving Babylon. But after King Nebuchadnezzar came another king, Belshazzar. And he didn't last very long either. While Belshazzar was the king, the Persian Empire conquered Babylon. And another king called Darius arrives on the scene. And so by the end of Daniel's book, he has lived in three kingdoms under four kings, at least. And the first thing we're going to see then is a succession of kings. Which is not very surprising. In verses 2 to 9 of Daniel 7, we have a succession there of kings. Now, this comes in the first year of King Belshazzar. So I assume then that it's not long after Nebuchadnezzar has died. Now, not many of us know what it's like to lose a monarch. Because who's on the throne today? Queen Elizabeth. And she's been on the throne for 68 years. Now, when that does happen, when you do lose a monarch, there's a period of instability, wondering what's going to happen. Who will succeed the throne? Will it be Charles? Will it be William? Who knows? Now, in Daniel's day, that instability was much more serious than the front page of Hello or OK magazine. It was life and death. Whole empires were overthrown in these short periods of weakness. And so with Nebuchadnezzar's death on his mind, with Daniel worrying about the succession of kings and what's going to happen next, God gives him a dream about just that, a succession of kings. What was it that Daniel saw in the dream? The first thing he sees is a series of really ugly beasts. And if, you, if you've got pen and paper and you're doing some drawings, perhaps you can try drawing them. Be quite an interesting little thing. Ugly beasts, like mixed up animals, aren't they? They're really frightening. Uncontrollable, wild animals. They're cruel and they reign as tyrants over the people that they rule over. 
In verse 17, Daniel is told what these beasts mean. They're kings and kingdoms on the earth, one after the other, all succeeding each other. Now, one of the first questions that we hurry to ask when we read Daniel chapter 7 is, who do these beasts represent? What, which, which kingdoms are these now? Are one of these the British Empire? Is one of these America? If it interests you, most of the commentaries suggest that the beasts go like this. Babylon, Persia, Greece and Rome. Followed by a multiplicity of kingdoms from which the Antichrist will come. But that's not the only interpretation. And it's not even the main point. What is the main point? Sometimes it's really easy to miss it. It's a bit like when you look at a painting in a museum or an art gallery, you go up and you see all the little tiny brush strokes on the painting, but you miss the opportunity to stand back and see the whole picture. So what is the big picture? What's the main point? To help us work that out, it might help us to imagine there's a little bell ringing in the back of Daniel's mind. He's seen this before. Not weird hybrid monsters, but he's seen a dream about a succession of kingdoms. Do you remember that? It was in our reading, wasn't it, in Daniel chapter 2, where God spoke to Nebuchadnezzar in a dream. God showed him a statue, didn't he? If you've got a pen and paper, you can draw the statue too. There's a statue made of different parts. The head is gold and the arms and the torso are silver and so on. And each of these are different kingdoms. One after the other, each one gives way to the next. Perhaps Daniel saw these dreams and remembers King Jehoiakim, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Belshazzar, and eventually King Darius too. So what is the main point of Daniel chapter 7? of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2, of Daniel's whole life, really. What's the main point? We'll see it there in verse 9. The succession of kingdoms ends with one throne and God is seated on it. God is on it. And that's the point. This is why it's less important exactly who these beasts are. Because the point is that God reigns, not them. At every point, regardless of who is on the thrones of the world today or then, God is the king of heaven and earth. And all the successive kingdoms of this world are going to terminate with him, with his kingdom. I, I want to read you this wonderful verse in Revelation 11, where we see the end of all things. Revelation 11 and verse 15 this is the end of time, and it says, There were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. If you've drawn now all those little beasts, those horrible animals there that are ruling over the world, you can draw above them God the King of all the kings, the Lord of all the lords. Heaven is king. 
this year, especially in the last month or the few weeks, our thoughts have gone global in a way that they haven't before. Instability and uncertainty is the name of the day, isn't it? Who's after Boris? What's going to happen to North Korea, to the EU, Iran and the US, Russia and NATO? At the moment, in our country at least, each day seems as uncertain as the next, let alone year by year. I wonder what it is that's bothering you at the moment. This is the point of all human history and of all of your history, that Jesus Christ is on the throne. Jesus is the king. Whatever is happening to you and to your family and to your church and to your country, all authority on heaven and in earth is given to the Lord Jesus. That's stability for you. That's certainty for you. Whatever is happening in your life, the same king is always on the throne and nothing can overthrow him. This is what God has told Daniel in his dream. Now, how are we going to make sense of everything that has happened to us recently? Some of you may be thinking, the Psalms say that as for God, his way is perfect, but this doesn't seem very perfect. Romans 8 says that all things work together for the good of those who love God. But how can this be for the good of those who love God? Daniel's vision, it lifts the veil a little bit to let us see what this is all about. That this, this in Daniel 7, in verse 9 to 13 or 14, this is what it's all serving. This is where it's all going. This is what it's all headed towards. The futility, the instability of all of these successive kingdoms, these events that happen, the things that rock our world and rock our lives, kingdom after kingdom, plague after plague, governments, empires, famine, war, peace, all of it comes and goes. But Jesus Christ and his church will endure forever and forever, never to be succeeded, never to be replaced. It's as stable as that magnolia tree that I showed you the flower of earlier. You can look out of your window where you are and meditate on that. Remember Psalm 1, that those who love the law of God and meditate on it, they're like a tree. And it just keeps growing in season, out of season, bearing fruit all the time. These things are certain. These things are unchanging, enduring. The new mercies of God every day. They'll never pass away, regardless of what happens to us all. So that's the first thing then, the succession of kingdoms. And the second is the replacement of kingdoms in verses 9 to 14. What's your favourite film? If you're into movies, you might be into those behind-the-scenes footage they sometimes release. I remember as a child watching the behind-the-scenes of the Bond movies. And uh, I, was, I was crushed to learn that James Bond wasn't really James Bond. And he doesn't even do his all, all of his own stunts. That really, that really ruined my life. But then I watched the behind the scenes of Mission Impossible. 
and I found that Ethan Hunt really did do all of his own stunts. The truth of what was happening behind the scenes thrilled me all the more. In verses 9 to 14 of Daniel 7, Daniel sees the scene behind the scene of all of human history, and it is thrilling. What does he see there? After the successive kingdoms culminate and are ravaging the world, there is an abrupt stop in verse 9. The camera pans away from the beasts and to God on his throne. It's as if Daniel and each of us is being told, look, forget the world, forget the beasts, forget the tyrants, forget the troubles and all the things that come our way. Look at God. He reigns. In verse 11 and 12, the beast is squashed, isn't he? Between God on high and the Son of Man, his Christ, the Lord Jesus. The beast there is squashed between them, isn't he? In verses 11 and 12. But it's not just his destruction. We don't just have the removal of these beasts. Do you see that? We're not left with a power vacuum. Because the instability that comes when a monarch goes is because there's a power vacuum, isn't it? Well, there's no power vacuum here because the right king replaces the wrong ones. The Lord Jesus is king instead of all of these beasts. And that bell is ringing like mad in the back of Daniel's mind. He's seen all of this before. In chapter three, uh, sorry, uh, in chapter two, rather, when we had the statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreamt about remember it was brought down to nothing and it was destroyed but it was replaced wasn't it what grew in the place of the statue do you remember the kingdom of Christ says here in verse 44 in these days the king uh, in the day of these kings the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. I love, I love that. Nebuchadnezzar, in the next chapter, had built a massive idol for everyone on the planet to bow down and worship. But by the end of the chapter, the worship of this idol was replaced by the worship of God. It's the illegitimate being replaced by the legitimate. In chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar set himself up as the wrong king. And he was full of pride and praise about his own kingship, his own kingdom. But by the end of the chapter, all of that was replaced by the praise of God and no one else. Nebuchadnezzar said in chapter four about God, he says, the most high I praised and honoured him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. In, the, in chapter 6, we have Darius. Darius passed a law that said, people can only pray to me. Nobody is to pray to anyone else, just me, on pain of death. By the end of the chapter, prayers to Darius were replaced by prayers to the living God. 
you read these words, these are from Darius. He says, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. It's the theme for all of this chapter of seven and the whole book of Daniel. The rightful king, the Lord Jesus, replaces permanently and ends the succession of all the kingdoms that have gone before him. It's a repeated cycle and it is timeless. All of human history, even today and the events of today, they're leading up to chapter 7 and verse 13. When the seemingly endless succession of worldly kingdom after worldly kingdom is replaced by the legitimate rule of Jesus Christ over all things. This is our future. This is your future. Regardless of what happens, this is what's going to happen. The kingdom of Christ is going to succeed and replace all the kingdoms of this earth. What's going to happen with my A-levels? What's going to happen with my church? Will I ever get to pass university now? I'm worrying now about the future of my family, about my mother, about my grandfather. I'm worried for my children. What's going to happen with my employment status now? This is all up in the air. Am I going to lose my job? Am I never going to get one? What's going to happen to my nation and the economy and all of these things? The Bible says that one day everything is going to be reconciled to Jesus Christ and to his kingdom. We have that in Colossians 1 verse 20, where it says that by, by Jesus to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Everything is going to come unto him. You know, we've got threats all around us, haven't we? We've got this virus, we've got other countries, we've got uh, other diseases. And you know what? The virus might be the least of your troubles. There may be things in your life that no, no one else knows about. And there's just threats everywhere. But there is no threat to Christ and his kingdom. There is no threat to the church. Some things are just stable. Some things never change. Some things will just last forever. And Christ and his kingship is one of those. And you belong to that if you're his. Now, we've seen that this is not just in Daniel's dreams, is it? But it's also in his life. You saw all those kings that have come and gone. We've seen the rule of Christ being established wherever Daniel goes, no matter who is on the throne. Is the kingship of Christ displayed in your life too? A poet once said, you've got to serve somebody. And he's right. Everyone is serving the kings of their kingdoms. The king of fear. The king of vanity. The king of low self-esteem. The king of resentment. Envy the king of pride, the king of loneliness. And sometimes you feel that you just can't, you just can't shake them. They have, they have the dominion over my life. 
They are these beastly kings that rule over me. But then we read Daniel 7 and we find that Jesus is the only one who has the rightful claim to be king over everyone and everything. Because he is God's man. Has Jesus succeeded and replaced all of these beastly kings in your life? Or is it that you feel that you are still serving them? Still slaves to them, still doing their bidding, still under their tyranny, giving in to fear, giving in to all sorts of suggestions from them, pride and envy, giving in to lies, giving in to lust, giving in to all sorts of sins. The Lord Jesus, who is King of heaven and earth, to whom all authority belongs, offers to replace them for you. If you bow the knee to him and trust him as your king, and you will find all of your fears will slowly but surely be replaced by confidence in him. All of your uncertainty about life and your marriage and your family and your home and your eternal destiny, they will all slowly but surely be replaced by a certainty. And ultimately, the Bible says, all of our tears will be wiped away and replaced with smiles by the King of Kings. In this life, it may be the case that we will only be plagued by the shadows of these kings. No longer will they be present, put away with, done away with, sorted out by King Jesus. And all we have to do is endure in their shadow until the day when they are totally done. Some of you at home may not just be thinking, but because I can't hear you actually saying, get off, really? Is that really true? Isn't this all pie in the sky? The kingdoms of this world have been going on longer than anyone can remember. I've seen empires span the globe, oppress and liberate for millennia. Is Jesus really the king of heaven and earth? Is all of this really heading to him? Can he, Jesus, really free me from fear and anxiety and loneliness that I feel so oppressed and ruled by. Christians and the Bible say that not only is that true, that everything is headed towards him, that he is the king of heaven and earth. It's not only heading all to his everlasting kingdom where he will wipe away every tear from all the eyes of those who have beheld him, but that it has already begun. It's already started. You know, when Jesus was here in his life, he went about liberating people from the kingdom of darkness and death and Satan and sin and bringing them into his kingdom of light and life and righteousness. He went in and the Bible says it like this. It's as if Satan has got people like goods and he's tied them up in his home. And he's stolen them from God. But Jesus Christ, the stronger man, breaks in and plunders these people from Satan's kingdom. The king of kings overruling this ruler of the world. You know, before he went to the cross, Jesus said, The ruler of this world, the beastly tyrant king of this world, Satan, is being cast out. 
and the ruler of this world is judged. Dying on the cross, Jesus broke the power of sin. Rising from the grave, he broke the power of death and their dominion was ended. And so now for Christians, the cross is a throne and the grave is a palace because they have been graced by the king of kings. Our king of kings on our behalf has sat on his throne in his palace. All of those, and I trust and I pray that this is for you too, who have repented of sin and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, have been set free from the beastly kingdoms of this world and brought under Christ's kingship today. And all of the certainty, all of the blessings that come with being in his kingdom are yours today. Today we are sat with him in the heavenly places. Today we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And the future is so bright and it's just going to get brighter until we get to him. He'll wipe away every tear and all of these blessings will come in their fulfillment. And today's worries, today's troubles, if we remember them at all, they'll be so small. Let me close with this thought then. The possession of the kingdom in verses 15 to 18. This is just short now to close. Remind me, what did Daniel see in his dream? He saw successive beasts ruling over the world. Then what? They were all brought down and replaced by the kingship of Christ. And he was given all of the kingdom, all of the power, all of the dominion forever and ever to Jesus. Then what was the explanation of that part of the dream to Daniel in verses 17 and 18? It says there that the kingdom will be given to the saints. How is that? How is it that the kingdom is given to Christ and to you and me? At the end of time, God, who has ruled sovereign over all things at all times, will wield all the power of the kingdom in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. All power and authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. But you see, Jesus is he's inseparably connected, inseparably connected to you and to me. He's united with his people. Jesus cannot bear being apart from them. And listen to this. Jesus will not even sit on his throne without you by his side. Isn't, isn't that amazing? You will reign with him forever if you are his. Fear not, little flock, Jesus said. It is the Father's will to give you the kingdom. In that day, I dare say, 12 weeks indoors is not going to seem like a big deal. Because Jesus is on his throne and his kingdom is forever and forever. And you and I are part of that if we are his. You know, Daniel saw all of history then in one night and its end. He saw your future 
He saw my future, an inheritance, a kingdom that we can have in the name of Christ who subdues all the world for us. It was even promised to Daniel. Look at the last verse of Daniel. It's a wonderful verse about Daniel receiving the inheritance himself. And so that's Daniel's life. All of his dreams came true, if you want to put it that way. And this can be your life as well, if it isn't already. Jesus is going to. He will. Nobody can stop it. He will succeed and replace all the kingdoms of the earth and all the troubles of all of of all of your life if you are his and he offers to do that for you today if you will trust in him i'm going to read a few words from colossians just seven verses and then i'll pray and then we'll have our last hymn together so these words come from colossians 1 god has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we bless you for our Lord Jesus Christ and his kingship. Lord, we are looking forward to that day when the crowns that he has given to us we can cast before his feet and confess and sing at the at the top of our voices, Lord, that he has done all things well. Father, we pray that in the coming weeks, when things may get harder for us in this country, we should remember the stability of Jesus Christ and his, and his kingdom, the certainty of his coming, and the reliability of his faithfulness to his people. We ask you, Lord, to be kind enough to apply this word to our hearts, to give us the certainty that we, uh, that we ought to have from it. Attend to us by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Cause us to remember and meditate on these things and bless you every single day as we should. In Jesus' name, amen.